uh, definitely some of the more special times of my life was being able to grow that business and celebrate that time. And to see those kids now as young adults and what they've been able to come and to receive messages from them of thank you of treating them the way that we did um, at those ages and uh, even being able to continue to share now for some of them that still follow my story of, hey, if there's anything that I can teach you or, or, or show you, you know, I'm more than happy. And I've got all the time in the world uh, for the next generation because so many people ahead of my time have had that time for me, which is very, very important. Welcome to Million Dollar Flip Flops, the podcast that invites you on a transformative journey diving deep into the minds of thought leaders, game changers, and business builders from around the world. We explore pivotal moments, motivations, challenges conquered, and the inspiration that fuels their success. Guiding you on this journey is none other than Roderick Lenhart, a multi-seven-figure business owner, number one best-selling author, international speaker, and certified business coach. Time to buckle up, because here we go. Hey gang, today I had a great conversation with Nicholas Steiner. He is the founder of Back to Basics Golf. He is an entrepreneur, a problem solver, a strategy driver, a process improver, a collaborator, and a relationship builder. We talk about his move to Australia, the concept of 1% better strategy versus production, the importance of masterminds and your network, and the patience required to build multiple seven-figure businesses. Let's listen in on our chat. I've got this business now. It's now doing a million to $2 million. I now need to talk with someone that's done five to seven. All right, now I'm doing five to seven. I don't know how to do 10 to 12. So now I'm going to go talk to somebody that's done 10 to 12. So it's really niching yourself down to, hey, I'm looking for profitable businesses that are doing anywhere from a million to $3 million a year. If that's you and you're looking to scale to four to five, I'm your guy. Or whatever that might be is just, that's where I've seen it work really well with mm-hmm. friends of mine that have all gotten coaching and we're in the spaces. Yeah, cool. I've got to one to two. I don't know how to get to four to five. I need that person to come in to show me what that next step is. Um, so that that helps at all, or that's any sort of idea. Or, yeah. Um, I, mean, I, I was just having that conversation with Josh. It was, you know, he's where he doesn't know if he wants to leave teaching and he wants to start a handyman business. And I'm like, bro, you can make 200 grand a year being a handyman. Like, if I had to do over, I would have just stayed doing that with my truck, you know, and it's, yeah. but, but I, you know, I was like, so what do you need? Well, he just needs accountability and you just need somebody that knows the yeah. basics of business and whatever. Then it's, well, then I look at my coach, you know, so like may, say Josh pays me, you know, a thousand bucks a month to be his coach. Great. Well, I pay $2,500 a month to my coach and my coach, I'm sure pays $10,000 a month to his coach. And it's, it's on up the ladder and it's that whole, you don't want to learn to dribble from Michael Jordan. You know, it's, it's, you want to yeah. learn from the kid down the street who learned last year. because He's going to give you the best tips, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? So it's, it's that counterintuitive thing, very much similar to you. Let's take the golf game as an example. You know, there's so many things you could go into as a product in golf. It's literally infinite, right? Same thing for me. There's, I can help people. Okay. Well, I can help entrepreneurs. Okay. Well, I can help entrepreneurs make more than a million a year. Okay. Well, I can help entrepreneurs with less than five employees that make more than a million a year that are in transition. You know, and when I was out in Hawaii for the intensive with my coach, you know, there's people sitting in that room that are doing a million dollars a month in coaching and they have the most specific things you could ever imagine. And it's, you know, single member LLC auto shop owners in Noosa. 
<laughs> you're just yeah. like, what? <laughs> you know, and they're killing it. And it's it's that it's that counterintuitive thing that is if you help everyone, you help no one. You know, and it's mm-hmm. mentally it's hard to get past. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's very difficult. And that's where with this, the next one of the next phases I've kind of looked at is, you know, this is where this is where this could probably get a lot better is and this the way that we're doing this right now is calling this like just a chat. Like there's no like we've just been going and there's no format and there's like that's the idea. That can that's you know, <laughs> that's that's the part that I really love as well too. And um oh yeah, so the whole thing that this came back to was once I've reinvented this phase that I'm in at Amazon and redoing my business and all that sort of stuff is then going back out and finding people that were just at the step that I did to show them how I exactly just did it of whatever their size is, how long they've been in the business, which is a, is a fairly large amount of people um, and working with my um, developers and outsourcing crew that I have now, uh, because on their side of things, you know, they're from whether they're from Ukraine or India or uh, the Philippines or any of those places where you get a lot of really good outsourcing work is it's not always the most presentable to the Western world when they're trying to work with those people. So how do I work with them to be the person that has the conversation with these businesses and talks to them through the steps and has the person that they can call and have that contact while my outsourcing people are still able to do all the stuff in the background that they've just done with me and we've teamed again and worked together and allows me to be, Hey, I'm the facilitator. They're the person that are, that are putting the work and the stuff in, in the background, because at the end of the day, they don't want to talk about that stuff. They just want to get to work on the stuff that they know and do it well, but they want to have more of that work. Right. So that's, it's that a bit of the next phase I've talked about possibly for next year as well, too, with the developers um, and the background marketing crew that I have that's working on my stuff now. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that, that's not dissimilar from the conversation I was just having on the call. You know, well, why don't you just teach other coaches how to do this? And it's like, cause that's, I could give them all my resources and I could just yeah. do DFY coaching. And I just bring all yeah. the people you need to start a coaching practice, Yeah, you know, social media and YouTube and your VA and just all these things. Right. But you got to focus, you know? So it's, yeah. that's the same thing for you. Like is the focus on selling the tool and teaching or is it on, selling the tool that tells you how to sell the tool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And where do you start? True. You know, that, that's, that's definitely one of the, that's one of the questions I actually have here is, you know, when you can do a lot of things, how do you pick the one thing to do? In all honesty, the one I enjoy doing, the one I enjoy doing. At the end of the day, that's the stuff. So whether it's been the coffee and cart series I'm doing with the golf brand now, or when it comes to any part of the business, knowing and having an aspect of it that I know it all needs to get done, but what parts do I really want to do at the end of the day? Like that's, that's what's most important. And that's where when I started the golf business, that was most important was I just want to go start a brand and do something that I'm passionate about. Even though I'm not a professional golfer, I have the professional golfers that said, you know what, Nick? You know what you're doing on the production, the manufacturing, the branding side of things. We know golf. Let's work together because we don't know anything about that sort of stuff. So it's getting the Avengers together or whatever you might call it um, to to help grow that and do that part of the business. But right now, I'm loving doing the, the podcast, the video cast series, and I'm loving uh, getting out there and meeting professionals and playing more and 
and doing all that sort of stuff. It's amazing. Like I'm so lucky. Like when I get out there and I do those sort of things, I'm just, I'm just, you know, like I said, having playing nine or just having a cruise. I'm like, man, I'm so lucky to be able to do this. But I've also put in those zombie hours or whatever you might say in a corporate world in an office 40 50 60 hours a week for you know 15 15 years at least maybe 18 years and again parents and stuff like that did it for 40 so i'm not not discrediting any of that but i'm also thinking that you know i've put in the time to where i've deserved this i've earned this and i'm happy with that and when it comes back to the part where you talk about money being made you know what? The my big goal at the end of the day: sell this latest brand, two, three, four, five million. Invest that into a fund. I'm getting a return of two hundred thousand, three hundred thousand dollars a year, and that's all I need, man. Pays for my vacations, pays for my housing, pays for my live. Allows me to do all the things that I want to do, and I need to be complacent with that because in business, it's easy to be like, "Oh, I made five. Now I'm gonna go make ten million. I'm gonna make fifty. And I've seen that where it just doesn't end. I'm happy to make a few hundred thousand dollars a year. And then you know what? How can I help grow the game, grow the sport, or help others in my community realize those sort of things for themselves as well? 100% agree. And the that concept of enough, right? And when people ask me about the people, the people I coach now, none of them want to grow. Not one of them. They want to buy back their time. They want to be able to go to their kid's t-ball game. They want to be able to go out to the lake on a Thursday and a Friday, you know, they, they understand that they only need so much and they look at me, you know, I could have just kept building the, the real estate company to infinitum, you know, but why, you know, I want to live in the mountains. I want to be able to do something that's virtual and I only need so much money to bounce around in the hot rods and, you know, go travel to Asia and go see you in Australia, you know, whatever it is. And it's, and I can give the rest away and people think you're nuts. <laughs> it's like, no, man, like it's, that's not it. It's, I don't need $200 million and I never will. It's a foreign yeah. concept for a lot of people that are brought up in that Western more, more, better, more, bigger, bigger, more, more. Yeah. And I think once you've talked to enough entrepreneurs and once you've seen um, what, it, what it does to people and how it maybe doesn't end. And that's where I've really tried to learn from those that have made those choices of setting a finite thing of being like, you know what, this is it. And I'm cool with that. And yeah, there probably will be some consulting or being on boards or those sort of things where I'm happy to help. Um, especially when it comes back to giving back or any of those sort of things, uh, especially with the game of golf. Like it's really important to me to help grow the game, educate kids, uh, start smaller competitions or communities where they may have not been able to see it because of how much the game is given to me. Um, to be able to do that. So that's important as well. How, you know, for those listening, you know, you live in Australia and you moved, what, 15 years ago? How long have you been there? Uh, seven. <laughs> why, why did I? Oh, we'll you were in San Diego we'll, before we'll, that? We'll put it in half. Yeah, yeah. So I was oh, okay. 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 San Diego for 10 years uh, and then moved here seven years ago now. Gotcha. So my timeline was close. I was just wrong location. So it's okay. Let's, let's take, uh, San Diego versus Australia, like just yeah. mindset, that kind of growth mentality, business time off the th idea behind enough, you know, how are, how are the two different? Because I think most people, myself included would look at Australia as kind of like we are in the States, but mm -hmm. 
but have you experienced it to be different? Uh, it's vastly. Uh, I mean, there's some similarities. I mean, Australia as a whole, I would say, is a combination. I'm, I'm many of them probably would here too of the UK and the US. Uh, you know, a significant amount of influence from both. Obviously, the UK being where most of the country was established from, and the US being probably the predominant projection and news and media and entertainment and those sort of things as well too but when it comes down to actual lifestyle i'm very surprised at probably just how much healthier uh this country is compared to america and a lot of that has to do around education and regulation so when you watch commercials here, there's a lot of support in communities, whether it's for mental health or physical health, or there's just commercials and things happening all the time of what's happening in your community. How can you be a better, um, you know, contributing member of society and those sort of aspects? Also, there's lots of parks and there's lots of programs to get out and play and all those sort of things. But also the food regulation is astronomically different also we don't see hill commercials here so when you're watching tv there's not 37 commercials about celebrex <laughs> you know it's 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 very very different you know when you go to mecca's or mcdonald's as it's known in the states our large here is a small that you get in the u.s i, I mean it literally tastes <laughs> yeah, yeah it's literally presented differently um it's you know, it's a lot of the food comes sourced from Australia for even a lot of those fast food chains to where uh, in the U.S., if you watch those documentaries, you're, you're not sure where where it comes from half of the time. So there, there are little things that, that are, are quite a bit different. Um, you know, it comes down to sports. There's no tailgating. <laughs> that one's a, a pretty big difference. So those are just some funny little things. And at the end of the day, like I've always said, uh, people are like, oh, you haven't lost your accent now. And there's there's things I'll say that are Australian slang or language or stuff like that when you're talking about things because uh, they're just so different. You know, a, a trolley here is actually a grocery cart to where in the U.S. It's a cable car <laughs> or, what you know, a tram or whatever you might call it. So there are little things that are, that are pretty funny. And, you know, uh, the boot is the back of a car and uh, to where you would call it a trunk. And sometimes they'll be like, I'll put it in the trunk. They'll be like, what? Like they just, the words that just are, are a little bit different and quite funny that, that you find from cultures and the spelling of words and those sort of things. But uh, at the end of the day, it is, it is pretty similar uh, when it comes down to um, mainstream media or pop culture or any of those sort of things. So obviously they have their celebrities and their things here, but those are the things that I've taken a bit of getting used to along with uh, the animals and the, the creatures that, that, creep and crawl around here compared to the U.S. as well. Right, right. Interesting. So, uh, you know, I wonder from a business perspective and maybe start in San Diego and what business were you running there? Because I know, is that when you started the scooter brand? Yeah, that was. So at the time I had had a um, insurance company. So I was doing health and life insurance, uh, which was doing pretty well until a lot of significant changes came with Obamacare. So the way that uh, policies were structured, the way that they could be sold, uh, the information that was uh, within them uh, changed significantly uh, when that had happened, which caused a pretty big change in the industry. And again, a lot of that needed to happen, but also too, it did crush and close the business. So 
After that had happened, I'd been sitting with a few friends. Uh, we're fortunate enough to live on the boardwalk in San Diego. If you've ever been to Pacific Beach, incredible place. Some of the best times of my life. And we're sitting out there. We're just having a beer out on the out on the porch or a veranda that you might call it here. And some scooters are cruising by. And a friend of mine reaches out to me and he says, hey, man, have you seen like these things? I'm like, razor scooters, like the ankle bashing things? They're like, yeah. They're like these things are exploding in the action sports side of things so to where you see a bmx or skateboarding or any of that sort of thing that part of that world was getting really big for scooters so if anyone wants to familiarize yourself just look up ryan williams or look up nitro circus and you'll get a very good example of how big and mainstream uh, that side of razor scooters that we rode as kids got so we saw an opportunity to open a retail store in San Diego next to one of the large skate parks there called Claremont Skate Park and themed it around uh, farming. So we called it the Scooter Farm. So we had all kinds of cool animals and we made it look like a barn inside of it. We built a little skate park for kids to come in. And the big thing for that business was, as I knew as a kid, and as you would know, uh, whether you went into Reggie's bike shop or any kind of place like that, a lot of times it was just uh, a good place away from home that you got to connect with others or kids to look up to and those sort of things. And you never know what kind of life people are living at home, especially in those early teenage years. Sometimes it can be quite difficult. So we really did provide kids uh, a place to come and also got down with them on a level of, you know, we were able to talk with them and chat with them and just treated them um, like little adults or human beings, which everyone should be treated as and not little kids. And they loved it, and that gained uh, international attention after a few years, got very big, and got invited to an event over here in Australia to come for some of our kids that had been sponsored to compete in a, a global event. At that time, I met the owner of one of the largest retail shops in the world for the business. Australia was a hub for scootering. It kind of didn't have as much of a stigma that maybe it had in the United States against skateboarders to where there's that skier kind of snowboard mm -hmm. war to where here it was a lot different and, and more accepted and they invited me to come over and partner with them in their business and i sold my portion of my business to my partners in san diego at the time so that's what brought me over to here and uh, i did that scooter business for up until really about june of last year until um the COVID thing kind of cleared. The business did phenomenally well throughout COVID, giving kids and parents a chance to just get their kids out of the house. Well, you couldn't go very far out of the house, but you could at least go out in the driveway or right. go out into the neighborhood and uh, cruise around with the kids in the neighborhood. And that gave them the opportunity to do that, which was phenomenally, um, not well, was very, very big for our business and uh, launched a lot of sales. But once that all came to an end, parents wanted to get back to traveling and spend more of their fun and time with their kids, uh, getting well far away from the house, which had a pretty significant impact on that industry. And then that's when I ended up going uh, full-time with the golf brand uh, that I had started a few years earlier. But we can get into a bit more of that. I know that's a, a bit of a long answer there, but hopefully that gives a lot of people clarity of what that portion of the journey was. Yeah, I, th I think the thing that sticks out for me there, Nick, is the the scooter farm being kind of a safe haven for kids, you know, it's the, the idea and Hey, this thing might be able to be profitable is neat. But if you just opened up any old scooter shop with really great scooters, would it have been as successful? Probably not. 
or is fulfilled. There's many that tried. There's many that tried. Yeah. And I think that's really what uh, did well for us is we treated them that way and they celebrated us within really the rise of Instagram at that time. So, I mean, we had several hundred thousand followers uh, within a very short period of time because kids and people would just come in and be like, how awesome is this place? You know, they're sharing the products, they're filming them, purchasing from the stores, they're tagging the stores. We put up cool things all around the store for them to do selfies or photos with or to be able to share, whether it was stuffed chickens or all kinds of just just really funny uh, cool things that that allowed them to, to really make it an experience. And we had people flying in from France, Croatia, Germany, Spain, Australia, South America, just for their holidays to experience our store, wow. which is wild. It's wild to think about that um, to where you'd have that kind of, you know, the only other thing I would think that would have that kind of experience would be a, like a Ron John surf shop, right? Of of our kind of growing up of like, here's this place where someone would wear a t-shirt and no matter where they kind of were in the world, you would know where that came from to where when I would do travels for this business and wear the shirt that people would be like, oh, that's the scooter farm. And it was very, very humbling to see that and to know and just to be at random places in the world be like, the hell, like how do people right. even, how do people even know this? And uh, it was pretty cool. And uh, definitely some of the more special times of my life was being able to grow that business and celebrate that time. And to see those kids now as young adults and what they've been able to come and to receive messages from them of thank you of treating them the way that we did um, at those ages and uh, even being able to continue to share now for some of them that still follow my story of, Hey, if there's anything that I can teach you or, or, or show you, you know, I'm more than happy. And I've got all the time in the world uh, for the next generation because so many people ahead of my time, I've had that time for me, which is very, very important. Yeah. Yeah, man. So, so many questions I want to ask around the scooter farm. Uh, do you only have the one location or do you have more than one? Only one location. They ended up opening a second location uh, with Daniel Dares, a very famous BMX rider uh, on the East Coast about a year after we separated. And they still have the two locations. Are you ready to unlock the tools within you for powerful change? What if I told you that there was a proven formula that turns your deepest desires into reality? Your life's journey is like a movie, with mountains to climb and monsters to conquer. Sometimes those monsters are competitors, friends, or even self-doubt. But here's the truth. The story you tell yourself might not align with reality. You have the power to overcome those inner monsters. In our best-selling book, Million Dollar Flip-Flops, and the courage to change course in life and business, we dive into a proven formula to overcome those inner monsters and so much more. What drives you at your core? Are you living authentically? And do you know your values? Roderick Lenhart's Waves Method delves into these questions, guiding you on a journey of self-discovery and success. Million Dollar Flip-Flops is for you if you're ready to break free from your current reality, make confident decisions, and ultimately craft a life and business you deserve. Enough with seeking shortcuts or settling for good enough. It's time for a change. If this sounds like you, then you need to get your copy of Million Dollar Flip-Flops now at milliondollarflipflops.com forward slash book. Take the first step towards a life you've always wanted. Once again, it's milliondollarflipflops.com forward slash book. Don't wait, act now and embrace the journey to success. Now, back to the show. So what I've experienced with not all, but most 
kind of individual operations like that that go on to have three and four and five locations, it loses that initial appeal. Like there's nothing like the original shop. It's hard to recreate. Was that the experience with the East Coast shop? I think it has been for them. It definitely has been, uh, especially around that community. You know, with even with San Diego, it's the warm weather, it's the beach, there's the sun, it's some of the best skate parks in the world. Um, flagships, right? That's why they're called those sort of stores and those sort of shops. I mean, we've all experienced it. I think of just about any retail business uh, that's out there and they have one or two stores that are like, man, if you like this store, you should go see this one. And that's, um, I think that that's why they do it, right? It's for experiences and for those sort of things uh, that, that that you see within that, with that retail world. Did you all have discussions on, you know, opening up 10 or a hundred or a thousand shops around the world? No, it was never really that conversation. I think through experiences uh, of doing that is, yeah, you could replicate that. And that's how you can create a franchise, uh, but it wouldn't be anything we would exactly have, would have wanted to own because at the end of the day, no one's going to treat your business like you treat your own business. And I think we see that with a lot of franchises, whether it's gyms or fast food places uh, or any you know nut restaurants that do that, right? Some of them are amazing and you can go to the next one and be like, man, that was pretty shit. <laughs> like, right. Man, that just ruined my experience that I've had from, from a different one, which is, which is difficult. And it all really comes down to what that owner has been able to establish, how he's been able to spend me, you know, whether it's the corporate message. And, and some of them have been able to do that phenomenally well. I think it just depends on uh, how that branding and how that corporation is from the top and how that's trickled down, which again, sometimes it works really well and other times uh, it can be found to be most difficult. So for us, it was never really a massive conversation. I think it was just Let's do this. Let's see how far this can go. And, um, you know, like any interest theory, it's been quite cyclical to where it's done really good for a few years. And then it kind of comes back and dips down and the new kids come into the sport. And, um, you know, that kind of continues to change. But I think with a sport like that, as long as you have, you know, new, fresh and, and kids coming into it, that's the important thing. And I think that's why I'm so focused on that with golf right now and helping out more of the junior side and focusing on that niche along with the putting and back to basics and the game development is the fact that there's always going to be new ones. And as long as you provide that good experience early on, they're going to stay in the game. They're going to continue to to play as well. So when you left Scooter Farm and you're starting the new business, back to basics, the what would you say the biggest lesson you took from the old business? If you had to pick one, there's a, obviously a thousand things you learned, but the one thing that you brought into the new business inventory control hmm. and it's something that i continue to uh battle with and uh focus on because it's so easy to get into the aspect of i want to launch these new products this is what i want to do but i continue to run out of my primary product it's a massive disservice to my business when i'm doing that that i'm not putting more of my time and energy to make sure what got me here stays here and that's the big one. And it's a uh, major focus for 2024 for the company. Even this year, the, you know, there's multiple times where uh, we ran out globally and uh, it, it just can't happen. It, ju- it just cripples you, especially if you're out for two or three months at a time at production schedules and shipping and those sort of things. Um, that was the big thing. And that was even what the previous business was, you know, 20% of your products are going to make 80% of your revenue. I mean, it's just, I mean, the 80-20 rule is so 
so universal life, you know. I mean, it is. I mean, literally everything that you do, um, that output seems to continue to match. And that's where I've put a lot of that focus on making sure, hey, this needs to be perfect and make sure it's done right um, as we continue to progress. So I'm going to call that the the practical thing you brought from the old business. What was the philosophical thing you brought from the old business? Uh, things take time. That's probably the biggest one is, uh, you know, a big thing for me has been, it's been a five-year plan and a five-year journey. This is year four into the golf brand. And it's really, really now starting to come to fruition. Uh, fortunate enough to have uh, Cameron Smith. Uh, if those who know, he's the guy with the mullet. He's uh, very famous in the golf uh, world and industry. And even outside of that, people know who he is. But he started working with us um, when he had just barely got on the, you know, he'd be on the PGA Tour for a short period of time. Um, and as we've developed, he's kind of developed. And now he's a multi-million dollar, one of the best players in the world, um, one of the top richest sports athletes in the world. And it's pretty crazy just to see how that journey develops and, and things kind of happen over time. Um, and very fortunate to have someone like that side. But that was been the big thing is to me is things take time, put in the right pieces now, and uh, everything should hopefully uh, come to fruition uh, later uh, within the journey. What would you say? I look, you know, I spent a lot of time in real estate. And I watched a lot of real estate careers start and end. And I watched the kind of the big dogs will say, stick around. And I did it for 15 or 20 years. And it got to where I never spent any money on advertising. You know, it started out as kind of a part-time thing with me along with building and, and the other stuff. But eventually it just feeds itself. And it's it's purely due to longevity. That's it. It's repeat customers. It's, be, it's just everyone knows that's what you do. I still get calls. It's been four or five years since I actively done real estate, I still get calls. So how much would you attribute that, you know, patience will say things take time to just awareness and just people kind of recalibrating to that's what Nick does now. So that's the brand. Yeah. And it's the flywheel aspect as well too, right? Is the more people that have the products, the more that begin to share it on Instagram, the more people that share their stories when they're out playing golf on a Sunday afternoon, uh, it's just like the scooter business, right? Wow, that's awesome. Where did you buy it? Next thing you know, the whole neighborhood has it. But you've got to plant enough of those seeds for that wheel to continue to pick up for you. And one of the biggest things I did for myself was the product that created was I patented it. So it would have been super easy for that product to get replicated, which happens in golf all the time. If someone just goes and makes it on AliExpress or any of these sort of things, and then gets sold for a quarter of the price because manufacturers don't care if they're selling thousands of them they're making 10 cents on each one doesn't matter to them right Um, because they are the producers of it but for my side of things it was that protection and it was that continual showing up for customers which if you go on back to basics golf and you go to our website or you go to amazon you read the reviews it's how amazing the packaging was how good the customer service is how amazing the packaging was how good the customer service is repeated over and over and over because Every time I respond to a customer, I treat them like they were the very first one. You know, someone complains, take care of them. You know, a hundred out of, you know, 10,000 are going to complain. But those, you know, 100 people, if you don't take care of them, they're going to tell 10,000 people. Right. So it's very important at the end of the day, if you know what, if they're not happy and we all have those people in all aspects of life, you know what, like, man, this guy is just 
on another level compared to any of the other experiences that I've had with customers. Just take care of them. Just, it's not worth it. It's not worth my time and energy. It's not worth the complaints. And there's only a few of them out there. So, and I only get a handful of returns anyway. So at the end of the day, sure, here's your money back. It took too long to get there. May have damaged in shipment. Stuff that's completely out of my control, but I'll take care of it. And that that begins, to, you know, that begins to get told within the story as well too. And if you do enough of those, they come back and you turn those people into five star customers. And that's why I've just never, uh, you know, it comes back to the whole road rage thing, right? At the end of the day, it's like, man, who knows what kind of day this person's having? Just get out of their way. Like it's not worth dealing with it. It's not. Who knows what this could can turn into? And I think that just comes back to I've lived a life more peacefully on the road nowadays. <laughs> sure. Just, you know what, just let it go like water. And it's hard. It's really, really hard. It's, trust me, there's days that it's like, oh, you know, but you just, you got to get through that, that sort of thing. And I think that kind of adds that flywheel is enough of that begins to be like, oh, all right. I can see all these, my, all these little stones I've turned is now starting to build a little hill. Yeah. Yeah. You, you talk about the road rage thing and it, it reminds me of that. I don't know if it, it might have been a Dale Carnegie story, but he's on the he's on the subway and this guy's kids are going nuts running all over the subway. And he's like, you know, why don't you control your kids? And he screams at him. And the guy says, you know, their their mom just passed away and they don't know how to deal with it. And I don't think I do either. Like, I think about that all the time. You know, it's it's yeah. you don't know what kind of day so I mean, and maybe they're just an asshole. That's that's possible too. <laughs> but but either way, is it worth it's probably more likely, let's be honest. <laughs> is but, it worth yeah, your but, energy? You know, that's no. It. Yeah, I think, and that kind of leads me to my next question. You know, the, I was on a call earlier today and this fellow wants, he wants to start his own business. You and I talk like, well, we went out and started some businesses and that was great and they did good. (laughs) But for a lot of people, they never take that step, right? And I've found that the only difference between you and I, people way ahead of us, is that we have the same fears, we have the same saboteur, we have the same inner critic, we have the same thing telling us that we're going to be failures and people are going to laugh at us and all the things, but we still do it. That's the only difference. What has driven you to take that step? I think it comes where we're from, Rod. I think that has a lot to do with it at the end of the day is, you know, we grew up in a place to where, you know, my family, you know, we're from the Midwest, Michigan, Ohio border area. And most likely you were either going to work in a farm or a factory, which happens to a lot. And there's some odds and end jobs. Okay. Maybe you're going to go work in a restaurant or, uh, you know, you could be a, whether it's becoming a welder or, you know, a chippy was what they call it here or a carpenter. Maybe you're going to build houses. All right. Either way, it's going to be a shitload of manual labor. And for me, no, I, I have no problem, you know, getting my hands dirty and doing a few things, but, uh, to where a lot of my family, I saw wasn't the life that I really wanted to live. I didn't want that predetermined. This is what you had to do. This is where you're going to live. This is, you're just going to get a family and you're going to live in this silo meadows. (laughs) No offense. Great neighborhood. Haven't been there uh, since last weekend, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, but you know what I'm saying, right? It's just that it's that thing of like, I just did not want that uh, for my own personal life. Uh, growing up and moved away at 18 years old and just said, you know what, there's there's something different out there. I've got to do something different. I want to write my own story. And I've never looked back since. And there's been a lot of fast failures. And there's been some things that worked out phenomenally well. 
But for me, it's it's that journey part of thing uh, that has been really important. And I think that comes down to early risks and taking a chance of traveling, seeing new places, whether it's the town over from yours, whether it's the city that's, you know, three hours away or the state that's six or seven or, you know what, the country that's a flight. It's very, very eye-opening to see how different people can live and how much choice there really is in the world to eventually look back and say, I did it my way is something that was just really important to me. And I don't think that's in everybody. I do not think that's in everybody. I think that you've got to have a strong enough why to be able to to choose to do that. And it's just taking those first steps. And it's taking steps every single day of, hey, here's this goal that's, you know, a thousand miles away, but I'm knowing what each mile, 500, 250, 100 is. And it took a while to figure that out to get to that goal that's a thousand miles away. Yeah, it's there. There's a lot of stuff to do. But how do I walk each mile in between to get there and working it backwards uh, of what you want to do and then deciding if that's strong enough for you personally to, to be able to do that. So a bit of a long answer there, but it's something that, that I'm passionate about and I do think about all the time. Yeah, I think that obviously I believe in your why a lot. <laughs> it's, the, it's number one on the Waves Method for a reason. And for me, why, you know, the A in Waves is authenticity is because so many times we, it's the point of the book, it's the point of everything I do, you know, and I don't think I've shared with you what the name of this thing is going to be and it's still a working title. So this may sound really off if you listen to this five years from now, but it's right map, wrong mountain. And it's these people are given a map to work at Jeep and retire (laughs) if you're from where we're from, but it's not the mountain they want to be. They get to the top of that mountain but it was the wrong mountain the whole time. And I think it's just asking that question at a successively earlier age, you know, that what if my whole life was wrong principle Yeah, that that that's what I want for people. And so I'm curious, the, you know, you talk about this goal that's a thousand miles away. How, how much are you prescribing each of those steps at 900, 800, 700, 600? And how much of it is, I know where I want to go and I'm open to how I get there. I know where I want to go and I'm open on how I want to get there. And a lot of that comes down to, and I'm getting better at this all the time, right? Like it's always a work in progress. I'm nowhere near perfect at it. Um, consistently working on my mindset. I'm always uh, thinking about better ways I can do. Uh, I use Trello a lot. So what I can do for my organizational steps of here's this thing I have to do. What are all the steps to kind of get there? And 80 to 90% of the time, I'm really good at it. But then other parts of the time, uh, I might forget or I come back. And that's just where I just got to kind of myself be like, all right, cool. Reset. You know, and and that can happen when things change in life and those sort of things. But for me, it's always been and really does come down a lot to what are the couple things I can just do today to move my business or life forward. So cool. Whether it's, you know, today I can go to Pilates, tomorrow I can go do a hit class, the day after that I can do a walk. That's my health, right? And physical health. What can I do? One thing today that helps me be a, be a healthier person uh, towards that future life I want to live. You know what? This week, 
I'm not going to drink alcohol unless I have it on Friday or Saturday. Uh, in the relationship, you know what? We're going to plan one date night a week. So it comes down to all these, you know, seven areas of life uh, that, you know, we can kind of look at. Uh, that's a whole nother conversation, but, you know, whether it's mindset, physical, relationship, relationships, those sort of things that I can continue to, to get a little bit better at. But I just try to do, a few, you know, what are three things I can do in my business today? All right, cool. Let me check my Amazon listings. You know what? I'm finally ready to get uh, my products on eBay. Let me go on to Upwork and find somebody who's going to help me do that, which Upwork, huge. Big advocate uh, helps out a lot in life when you need to get to get things done and find people to do it. Or Fiverr is another one for those listening uh, that you can do as well too. So, what are just a couple things I can do to move forward? You know, let me check my inventory. Let me get in with my factories. Maybe I improve an insert or my packaging that I'm doing. Or you know what? Let me plan my reels out for the week. These are all, and I mean, this can go on and on and on. But at the end of the day, I just try to be. What are two or three things that at the end of the day, you know what? I feel pretty good that I got those things done and I can sleep well tonight knowing that, oh my God, there's a thousand things to do. How am I going to do it all? Well, you can't. But if you do three things a day for 30 days, that's 90 things you just did to improve your business or your life. So that's really how I approach it most of the time. Yeah. I think there's, you know, my journal comes out in December and that's one of the things in it is the Every day you check in and what's the right next thing? And you you list those down and then you list down the ac- action steps for that day. And at the end of the day, you have to check the box. Did I touch on my right next thing in these three areas today? You know, then every 14 days, there's another check-in, et cetera. But I think that just that mentality, that 1% better. And here's these areas that I need to improve in. You know, I do check-ins, you know, like kind of like the genius wheel looking thing. Like how bumpy is my wheel, right? Am I a level three or a level 10 at this thing? Well, then I need to... You know, is my health slipping because I just spent six weeks in Europe eating, you know, chocolate in Brussels? Yeah, maybe I need to go for a run today. So I get it. So when you're when you're focusing on that thing for your business, your life, you know, whatever it is, do you believe that there's a, a you wake up every day with a certain amount of creativity and mental capacity to complete things? And do you find that there's a window of time that you have to get those done or else it's not happening that day? Uh, I'm getting better at that, but I really, I'm a morning person. So it's really easy for me to get up in the morning, get a bunch of stuff done. At the end of the day, I'll go to the gym or I'll go play some golf. And that's what I think uh, for me is I've always been a, a firm believer. And I think some of the most uh, quote unquote successful or large entrepreneurs out there, whether the Musk's or the Bezos's or the, Zuckerberg's that you have a finite amount of energy and that comes down to amount of decisions that you can make a day. So for me, it's morning is when I really focus a lot of my work or try to get as much as I can done. But being in Australia, that's not always the easiest because I have multiple time zones I have to deal with. And it's probably the most difficult one to be able to do that uh, with, you know, the United States being literally a day and a half <laughs> half a day behind uh and then places like uh the uk being five hours behind so that's really the end of my the very end of my day is when those places start to wake up or their mornings so meetings uh talks like this or these sort of things um it's really the end of the day or the very early part of the morning that i'm able to catch the rest of the world so it depends on what's going on but that can mess with it a lot too yeah for sure I know for me, it's, I get up and it's just me time. 
you know, it's, it's workout, it's meditate, it's read, it's business journal, it's those things. So, so I don't take appointments before 10 or 11 o'clock, but then I also know that my, my end times two, three, you know, typically like I'm not, I'll be able to do the thing, but I am not at my best once I'm at four five, six, seven o'clock in the evening. So it's like, you gotta, you gotta think about those things when you schedule, but well, buddy, you and I could talk for about seven more hours. So what I, I so. what I want to do is, you know, we typically work with entrepreneurs um, that are at that seven, eight figure level and they're in some kind of transition. You've had a number of transitions in your business career. What one piece of advice would you give those folks who are, you know, they have a successful business. They kind of say, is this all there is? They have that bit of a sinking feeling in the mornings. Should I get bigger? Should I get smaller? Should I do something different? What one piece of advice would you give that person? Your network is your net worth is the big one, right? So I've gone uh, through multiple phases of my life to where um, I have had masterminds or people around me. And probably one of the biggest transitions I had is I moved from the Gold Coast of Australia to Melbourne back in December. And where I can get on the phone and have chats like this with people like yourself, uh, it's been difficult so far to find uh, that around here in a local environment. So the more that you're able to do that or be around others that are just a few steps ahead of you or a few steps behind maybe where you want to be is really important because one, it allows you to give back to uh, what you've learned to others that are on a similar journey, but it also allows you uh, to learn from others. So um, I've always liked to be kind of that middle person in the room um, when it comes to those sort of things and getting around other people. So uh, that's a big one is just really getting in a supportive network where people that are that are in your corner is extremely important. Uh, you know, it is a very lonely business uh, being an entrepreneur and going on these things on your own. It's your own journey. It's your own business. No one knows exactly what you're going through except for possibly other people that are following a similar journey, though it may not be exactly the same as your own. And just those few steps every day. I mean, that's the biggest one, right? You want to start your own business. You want to do these things. What are a couple things I can do every day to move me towards uh, towards that goal? And, and bite-sized chunks is so much easier, uh, whether it's information or content that you're sharing with your community or stuff that you're taking in or implementing yourself is uh, the biggest things that I've found that attribute to me being able to handle this madness uh, day in and day out. Buddy, I appreciate you being on the show today. I hope you enjoyed the episode today on the Million Dollar Flip Flop Podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe on your chosen platform that you listen on. If this episode made you think of someone, go ahead, take a screenshot and share this episode with them or post it on your social media to share with your friends. You can catch the show notes for this episode and any mentioned links in the description of this episode. If you want to see more behind the scenes with Roderick and his guests, be sure to find them on Instagram. It's also where we can have deeper conversations on these episodes. It's where we hang out in between episodes. Go to www.instagram.com forward slash million dollar flip flops. Until next time.